Hello world and welcome to another fun, fun episode of Here's a Guy. Um, I'm Alex coming to you from St. Louis. I am joined by this week both of my usual co-hosts, uh, the first of which is Cody coming to us from Illinois. Cody, how are you? I'm good. Uh, it's been an interesting week in many ways, which we'll talk about here a little bit more. Um, I'm glad to see Jack back. Um, really wish this is the first time I'd had to ask this question. Jack, how are your pubes doing? You know, they they're science has come a long way in the last um, 96 hours. So I can say they're recovering and I hope to be uh, back in um, tip top pube shape next week. The miracle of modern shampoo. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Jack John's coming to us from Indianapolis. He's here this week as well. Uh, other than your pubes, how are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Work had been hell the last week. I'd been so fucking busy with work and uh, parenting shit and, you know, the general everything else. Uh, so I'm feeling good to, to be back on and actually doing some things I enjoy. Don't set your expectations too high. Um, I enjoy that. doesn't mean other people will think it's good. I just enjoy doing it. Oh, we'll, we'll call your bluff on that. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing good as well, and even better that um, we had some really good news this week. Um, the collaboration that you all have been waiting for is finally here. Um, and by that, I'm referring to um, uh, Ego, the waffle magnate, um, is collaborating with Sugarlands Distilling Company to bring you something called uh, Ego Brunch in a Jar Sippin' Cream Liqueur. What this so, is is first a... of all that na- that name is the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I I I could see the defense of it until you named what it was, and now I'm fully firmly against it. Right, like people are going to be a little skeptical of this idea anyway. I don't think you can do the kind of eh, iffy product and the uh, the gross naming because like nobody wants to sip cream, you know? No. Um, now. I I do. The general idea is intriguing to me because I can't tell you how many times I've been eating a waffle in the morning and thought, you know what would go great with this whiskey? But maybe that's just a me thing. Like, I I understand, like, alcoholic eggnog is, like, probably not far from what this is. But I feel like the people who are eating Eggos... And the people who are going to spend money on this are just two completely separate circles. Also, I, I love that this is very much like they are very much designating this for a meal that occurs before noon. Like th- yeah. this product's very existence, by definition, is encouraging people to drink alcohol early in the day. I, I just it, I want to point that out. It's rum chata with worse branding. Yeah, it's 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 a cream liqueur meant to have um, meant to evoke the flavors of an ego waffle. So the waffle itself, maple syrup, butter, you know, all that good stuff. And it's marketed. It almost seems hacky to have a podcast where you rip on uh, products. But this this feels like a guy. No one's ever done that before. (laughs) Um, Yeah, definitely not any that we uh, uh, rip off quite a bit, but. Um, it's, now, it's now time for a new segment. Three white guys get topical about the news. 
the time for our new topic, real or fake. Um, <laughs> so, oh, there's Alex's pet pig pickles. Uh, so first of all, it's marketed as being for your uh, brunch spread, and um, this really got me to thinking about the institution of brunch and its developments recently. First of all, are people often doing brunch as like a get drunk? sort of meal at home or I, cause that always felt to me like exclusive, like a going out sort of treat. I mean, if you're having a gathering at your home, I guess, but yeah, if you're doing, if you're doing mimosa brunch by yourself, either it's a, I, either you're celebrating something or you are doing the opposite of that. Yeah. I have some I've hotlines. You may want to call. I'm not going <laughs> to judge either one. I've taken my first drink before noon for both of those reasons. I, I make no bones about any of that. I'm just saying it's one of those two things. Yeah, I've I've been a degenerate at meals before, but I don't know if I've ever been a mimosa by yourself kind of degenerate. That seems like a whole new level. Uh, like it, if you if you have family over, like we've had like mimosas like when family comes over, but I can't imagine I would ever open this by myself, other than under like the guise of shame and cover that I was doing this. Yeah. That, that it's it's kind of an unusual situation when you think about the solo mimosa brunch because it seems like obviously what we're alluding to is that it's an excuse to get hammered really early in the day. And my thought process is if you're going to do that, why the mimosa? It's not terribly strong. It's I mean it's not difficult to make, but it's you know, not as easy as as it could be. If you if you really want to get drunk before noon, just grab a couple cokes and a bottle of whiskey and get after it, man. Like you know, it, don't don't shame yourself. Like you're the one doing this. Do it or don't. Yeah. So I feel like the the mimosa as a brunch drink in general probably comes from the fact that. It starts with a citrus fruit juice, which is something like a citrus fruit juice is something you'll have with breakfast. So it's at least still like letting you pretend that this is tethered to breakfast and you're not just out partying. You know what I mean? It's not as aggressive as a Bloody Mary in the morning. Like a a Bloody Mary has a kind of vibe to it where the mimosa kind of slides under. Well, that too, if you do it right. I was going to say, I've had Bloody Marys with a whole fucking salad in there. Like you're not eating that (laughs) with anything unless you're a real heathen. I will say Bloody Marys, by the way, one of those things that I really don't get. Um, I mean, I'm not going to go so far as to say that, like, um, people who enjoy it are just pretending. Um, But it has never appealed to me in any way, shape, or form. I do like a good mimosa. I mean, that's citrus and alcohol. You can't really go wrong there, but... Do I do either of you like Bloody Marys? Could you explain to me what what, what I I do is? actually. It's not my favorite thing in the world, but every once in a while I'll kind of get a hankering for it. Um, I mean, they I do enjoy the taste. It just it kind of tastes like a really great sauce of some sort if it's made properly. Plus, you get a little bit of that alcohol around the end. But yeah, if you don't like the taste of like tomato sauce and Worcestershire, this is not the drink for you. I do. Yeah. And I have actually, I've done this before. One of our local bars was making Bloody Marys for, I think it was maybe St. Patrick's Day or Cinco de Mayo or something, but part of their specialty bar. for the. And I realized, oh, it's six o'clock. I haven't eaten since noon. I'm still out. I don't want to go get anything to eat. 
I'll just get a Bloody Mary. And you know what? It worked surprisingly well because they loaded it up with enough shit that it actually gave me a little bit of fullness and soaked up some of the alcohol a little bit. Shit was probably one of the more well-balanced meals you'd had all week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. For, yeah. for me, the Bloody Mary, it, like if I'm having like a like a kind of like a heavier meal, and I'll get the Bloody Mary as like like a spicy Bloody Mary, so it kind of balances out with like the heavy salt and like kind of like if I'm getting like a heavy biscuit meal or something like that, where it's gonna you know balance out well. But I'm never like a casual just Bloody Mary by itself kind of person. Yeah, it's the one thing about Bloody Marys. I don't know if I've talked about this. I have since I was a literal child, I have had terrible acid reflux. So and those one of those things that unfortunately for me triggers it sometimes is tomato sauce, tomato sauce. You add the vodka in there. And if I haven't taken some kind of medicine for my heartburn, I am going to be in just an absolute world of pain within 10 minutes. Noted. Think of brunch as an institution, what it's become. Because let's say, like, so I live in the city. Jack John lives in the suburbs of a major city. and But Cody's in a, a smaller town. So I don't know whether brunch as a thing is, is quite as much a thing where you are. On the other hand, it's a college town. So maybe I'm wrong about yeah. that. But there are um, places you can get brunch. Yeah. Not I, I a like lot. I feel like when we were there, the equivalent of brunch was us just being hung over at noon, realizing that we kind of missed breakfast, but we don't fully want lunch. So we just went to a diner and got like, like biscuits and gravy. Or the mm. Chinese buffet more often. Oh, fuck yeah. Chinese or, buffet hung over. That's elite. Yes, I guess they're out of, out of business so we can like talk about them by name. Do you guys remember, surely remember BJ's Diner here in town? Oh, fuck yeah, yeah. No, that's what I was picturing the, when I said that. The, the open all-night diner that is the only place I've ever seen where it was packed at three in the morning. Yeah, because there's nothing else to fucking do. <laughs> yeah, because everyone, everyone wanted food, and it was either I, that or go through McDonald's because everything else was closed. Yeah. Where are you ever at a point where you're drunk and Taco Bell is already closed? Like, you go to BJ's. <laughs> yeah, I think the health department also remembers them quite well. Um, again, they're closed, so we can say this. But <laughs> yeah, um, I think that was a, a poorly kept secret. Um, mm -hmm. But I, so, like, I do like brunch as an institution, but I don't go as hard with it as some people do. Because when I was in, in law school, and I understand this is law students, so this is you know, a particularly obnoxious sample of the population, but some of my friends, like they're a group that was like, you know, most of them, I'm just, I'm just saying this as an observation, a statement of fact, most of them were in uh, frats and sororities when they were in college and had maybe not quite moved on from that life <laughs> um, and went out and partied quite a bit. And like every weekend they would go to brunch at this place in downtown called Wheelhouse that's it's okay as a bar, but they have pretty famous brunches. But the brunch at Wheelhouse, it's not like you just go and get some breakfast food and have like you know a couple of mimosas, maybe get a little buzz going. It's like music blaring, and like I'd watch their videos and they're like up on tables singing along and shit. Oh, Jesus, like it's too early for that. <laughs> I, uh, my only reference of brunch in St. Louis, we have a mutual friend who I won't mention, but I think they still live there. I would get Snapchats of him at brunch, 
and it would be like a dude with like a Ghostbusters sized backpack that was like dispensing mimosas for people like walking around. Like that's my picture of St. Louis brunch. It's pretty wild, man. I mean, you can find some better spots for it. Um, Sarah and I have been liking this place called Southwest Diner lately where, you know, they got really good food. It's a lot of like Tex-Mex. Um, but then also, uh, you know, you can get a Paloma along with it. They have beers on tap. But my favorite is that um, there's actually two. They have the main restaurant and a sister restaurant, but the Crow's Nest in Maplewood. Um, their sister restaurant, Eat Crow and Sular, they have something called Metal Brunch which is exactly what it sounds like. It is a heavy metal-themed brunch. The drinks are strong, and they have the most insane concoctions, many of which are... uh, um, I mean, just truly, truly gluttonous food. When I was there, I had um, something that was called a bowl of slop, um, (laughs) which I'll just describe it here. It's a uh, double serving of hash brown casserole smothered in Gouda jalapeno cheese... Or Gouda jalapeno cheese sauce and topped with sausage crumbles, green onion, and an overeasy egg. I mean, just oh God, that fuck sounds me. so good. It's so good. I mean, I, I mean, your day's fucked after that. But you're, <laughs> I mean, you're going to be so tired, so sleepy. Sure. I had that and what they called a uh, uh, a stag a staggerly mosa, which was stag beer, champagne, and orange juice. Ooh, I love a good beer mosa. I had this at about ten in the morning. I love a staggerly reference. So. So what uh what did you do with the rest of your like hundred calories for the week? <laughs> well, I, I have some sort of like I'm not entirely sure I'm mammalian for a lot of reasons, but one <laughs> it, of which the unhinged is like, jaw is a big factor for me for you. One of which Cody and I have talked about the weird ways in which our genetics kind of went in different directions. As far as like weight, Cody and I have like different problems. Mine is like, I can eat whatever I want and not gain much weight, but also, like, if I try to lift weights, it just doesn't do anything. Cody's the opposite. Um, you know, he'll put on, he can put on bad and good weight at an alarming rate. Um, like, he, he bench pressed more than anyone on the football team at one point. Um, but, like, you know, the thing where we would sit at the uh, Christmas table at Grandpa's and he would just shovel uh, prime rib at me. I usually mm-hmm. outlasted him. It's, it's, it's weird how that worked. Yeah. So when the eventual movie comes out of the two of you, it's just Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah again. <laughs> and then Cody can like, go fuck- back and forth between different eras of Jonah Hill. Or just like fucking like Laurel and Hardy. I mean, that's the dynamic that's worked <laughs> yeah. forever. Yeah. <laughs> our, 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 really? parents, uh, our parents sired a uh, vaudeville duo, unfortunately. <laughs> In so many ways, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyone have any other thoughts about, we'll say, so I used to not be a, uh, morning person at all. Now I'm, I've, I've grown to like the mornings a little more, especially on the weekend. But what I mainly like about the weekend mornings is just the peace and the solitude. So going and getting like shit house is just not something I'm too old for it. No. Yeah. I, I'm not no, even, my, I'm not even doing idea, Mardi Gras anymore. My idea of a Saturday spa day is to do like I used to do and get up at about eight in the morning and watch cartoons. Yeah. Hell yeah. The only, 
The only difference is now I'm usually smoking weed while I'm doing it. Well, there you go. Yeah. In, anytime yeah. I've stayed with you in the last five years, our Sunday has been exactly that until I leave <laughs> at like 4 p.m. because we've watched too many cartoons and I've lost track of time. You're out of cartoons. You've watched them all. We watched like all of Dragon Ball Z's Frieza arc last time I was there. <laughs> I mean, it was Kai, so it wasn't as bad, but still. So it's it's 40 hours instead of 50. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. But that said, brunch food, breakfast and brunch food, insanely good. I think we can agree on that. What oh, yeah. I like is you can go ridiculous in two different ways. You can do the bull of slop, which is the ridiculous savory, or you can have like the most goddamn extravagant French toast concoction yeah. that you've ever had in your life. I mean, either way, you're you're ruining your day, but but yeah. for, for, for the for the better good. For me, anything that's a country skillet with or without like a oh. massive topping of gravy yeah. on it, like give me a corned beef hat corned beef hash skillet every day and i'm fucking there yeah i like when my food uh just has no structure to it (laughs) yeah alex that thing i I was just thinking it's heavy metal theme so that thing that you had speaking of this uh Mm -hmm. whole thing ruining the rest of your day i would have called that a run to the hills (laughs) Ah. (laughs) they didn't do a lot of puns for their foods which was disappointing um it'd be called the number of the beast (laughs) <laughs> the uh the bottomless mimosa is called the fade to black <laughs> they need to hire us what, what are we doing um yeah if there's one thing we can do and we've proven it on this show we can riff about music on a different topic for ever so that's what's going on uh good news in the world of brunch uh slightly more mixed news in the world of sports as we had some uh, interesting <laughs> developments um, oh god um, is Cody, would you like to start or all bad? Which, uh, which there's do you probably start... some good in there. Do you want to start with football or baseball? Whichever you want. I mean, there's there's things to say about both. All right. Well, let's let's start off with let let's ease into how fucked up this is because Alex said mixed news. It's really all bad this week. Um, yeah. <laughs> Michael Orr, the subject of the movie The Blind Side. Now, it, it's been kind of an open secret that a lot of that movie was bullshit uh, for years, but now apparently. Um, apparently that family that, um, you know, made all the money off that movie and, uh, off Michael Orr's name and everything claiming they'd adopted him, yada, yada, uh, apparently they never actually did that. And there's a lot of their kindness toward him that was depicted in the book and the movie that just never happened. So, um, yeah, Michael, why he's bringing it up now exactly, I don't know, but now that, uh, family is... Uh, suing him for is it defamation? I don't remember. There's there's some some argument. countersuit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's some countersuit. Uh, something like he. I think what they're saying is that he tried to blackmail them for like fifteen million dollars, and this I'm, is his this is his revenge for them not giving it to him. They seem like the kind of people that would call blackmail just him reaching out to them to talk. Well. I mean, uh, yeah, that's technically yeah. true. Uh, but no, they, they, they've they always reeked to me of gross white saviorness, And mm-hmm. this just is There's a lot exemplified. about that story that's icky. Yeah. It, you, white you people can't exactly say where black it goes wrong. Yeah. yeah, you, can, uh, you can't exactly say they're doing anything necessarily wrong just based on the absolute facts that we know. But it just feels, it's just got that yuck factor to it. Mm-hmm. It's its the heavy level of the, oh, I can save him. And is it because you're white that you think that? Yeah, pretty much. 
<laughs> well, they were rich too. That that adds another level of slime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, an extremely predictable situation. I'm I'm the only thing that surprised me is how long it took for something like this to come out. So Yeah, our next yeah, story is uh... a little less predictable. <laughs> <laughs> it's somehow slimier. I, I forget um is it Nashville that they're from? Uh, Probably. I think so. It's from yeah. some metro. It's, it's I want to say those... it's. I want to say it's Nashville. Where, wherever it is, um, the like local subreddit. Um, I haven't gone and looked, but what I've heard is it's full of people sharing stories, uh, namely waiters, about how big of assholes these these people are. So I, I saw a, a Twitter crop, and I can only verify what I saw in a Twitter crop, but it was just like. Yeah, the mom found these two black teens and made up a fake story and like wrote that story based on nothing but like racism undertones. Yeah. Well, uh, bad people. Uh, hope for nothing but the worst for them. Um, but we'll we'll monitor that situation as we go along. Um, there was also something that uh, something happening in baseball. <laughs> if anyone would like to, anyone would like to share with the class. So, allegedly. Now, I don't know how much of this has been... I mean, they're still investigating. This news broke, like, the day before yesterday, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, one of the most uh, recent top prospects in all of baseball, Ray's shortstop Wander Franco, in the middle of a breakout season, uh, the 22-year-old Tampa shortstop uh, has evidently been accused of being in a relationship with a 14-year-old girl. Uh, and potentially uh, having a child with this person. So, yeah, um, there's that. Too, not, too good. Not just in the middle of the season. They found out in the middle of the game and kicked him out of the clubhouse so he could go home quicker. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he uh, then promptly went on IG Live to say if I would have done it, basically. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, what yeah. you need to do as the team, kick him out of the clubhouse and take his phone from him on the way out. Yeah. Put it in yeah. one of the little boxes that, that parents put it in to hide it from their children. It shouldn't explicitly be said, don't go online when you go home. But apparently they didn't tell him, don't go online when you go home. Yeah, take his phone and then maybe hand it to the FBI. I'm not normally in favor of that kind of thing, but <laughs> there's a real quick way to settle this, is all I'm saying. So, yeah, the investigation will turn up whether or not that was true. We're not saying we know for sure that it is, but I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's the kind of thing that like, you don't really see a whole lot of in baseball typically that we know of. And that we know it's of. really yeah. such a strange plot plot twist because he is one of the bumper crop of young superstars. He was in the class in a class with like Fernando Tatis jr. And Vladdy Jr., Bo Bichette, guys like that who are going to be, like, the faces of the game. Shohei Otani. You know, guys who are going to be, like, these guys are going to be baseball for the next decade or so. Yeah. And now Wander might never play again if it turns out this yeah, thing I mean, is true. It, it, it's rare now, thankfully, that people uh, don't do, like, the Carl Malone thing. Uh, I thought we were past that as a, uh, as a nation, but apparently not. Yeah, I, I this is one of those things, especially nowadays, like like sports are sadly tolerating of a lot of not good behavior yeah. even now. But like, I mean, I think it's we can probably all agree if it does turn out that this is true, 
I mean, he's done. He's 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 just he's not coming back. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't see. Well, like, I mean, not even, jokingly, even there's no way you come reason, back from that. No, like, e- even if for some reason the league does not issue a lifetime ban, I think it's going to be like Trevor Bauer, where just no, no, it doesn't matter that he's not banned. Nobody will yeah. touch him. Yeah, I'm not keeping my fingers crossed. I, I am keeping my fingers crossed a bit on Trevor Bauer and hoping that that whole situation is just done. It's not. I think probably at this point nobody's bringing him back because, like, not only. It, not only is there the really bad thing he did, but also apparently everyone just fucking hates him. So, um, <laughs> so even he's before all play, this. He's, he's getting fucking shelled overseas last I heard, yeah. too. I don't yeah. think even think he's playing very well. Like, even, like, noted scumbag the WWE knows to, you know, keep that shit away. They won't even bring back Velveteen Dream, who had a much higher upside than this dude. Like, if the WWE is even like, ah, oh, we're not touching that, you're probably fucking done. I, th- I think uh, probably the closest example we have so far is if any of you remember Luke Heimlich, the um, pitcher oh, for yeah. Oregon State, who was going to be like the top pitching prospect in that year's draft. Then it came out that he was a registered sex offender for, oh. um, and had just been playing for Oregon State the whole time. Um, and uh, apparently also still uh, said like, well, you know, I, I he still denied mostly what he did, um, but he was a registered sex offender. And um yeah, no team ever even signed him as an undrafted free agent. You, like, you just... That one you just can't come back from. You're done. Yeah, right. So, uh, uh, inclusion, fuck off, Wander Franco. Uh, also, <laughs> if you want to... Yeah. If, you, if you want to... Allegedly. If you're listening to Here's a Guy, you probably don't have a ton of hope left for humanity. Um... Seems to be the audience we we attract for some odd reason. But um, if you have any left, don't go read any uh, social media reaction at all to this. Um, yeah. Because you're just not going to like what you see. A lot of a lot of people who, um, on one hand, claim to be very anti-grooming are very insistent that one that there's no way this girl is 14. Strange. Uh, yeah. A, a lot. A lot of people who. Th- think uh drag queen story hour is pedophilia and should be punished by death are they're they're just pretty cool with this it seems like yeah yeah i i I hate anytime i see in the news the age under 18 i just immediately cringe because i know it's not going to be good whatever i'm reading yeah and not even the most ridiculous of that kind of thing i saw this week because uh if either of you saw ted nugent the other day sharing Uh. uh uh, homophobic, uh, anti-groomer uh, memes. Like, dude, you wrote the song Jailbait, and that's <laughs> yeah. only the tip of the iceberg for how much you publicly like fucking teenage girls. Like, uh... come on. Come on. Just, not that at this point, I don't think there's anyone who actually thinks that there's integrity with that crowd. I mean, either you you Either you know better or you're just kind of going along with it for your own purposes. You don't really care about what the reality is. But, like, when Ted Nugent's piling on, like, the pedophile guy in the rock scene, and think about what that says. (laughs) Yeah. There are some strong contenders. I was watching South Park the other day, and it's the uh, uh, Washington Redskins episode. And they get to the point where they're like, I guess ISIS is on our side. Do we really want to have this point? now it's like ted nugent's on your side where the fuck do you think you stand (laughs) 
that's what's going on. And just, uh, just another week on uh, this fucking interesting place that we live. Um, I hate this rock. Yep. And uh, it's not going to get any more normal from here because uh, it's time to, to discuss some guys. <laughs> uh, Jack John, could you help me out, please? Yeah, I think I remember it. It's uh, the guys. So, Cody, you were up first this week. Who's your guy? Oh, boys and girls, we got a long-awaited one for you. This has been on my list for a long time. Um, so every American child has heard the story of a man who shaped the American expansion. <clears throat> it's the story of a frontiersman, an explorer, a statesman, and surprisingly enough, one of the first uh, well-known advocates for Native American rights who became one of the most respected figures in this nation's history. This is the story of course, of Davy Crockett. This, however, is not that story. Good story. story. Isn't, <laughs> isn't this story a little too prominent to cover on Here's a Guy? You know, there are elements of that, which I actually mentioned his advocating for Native American rights. That's something we might do for, like, a Patreon heavy hitter episode. Yeah, but, as, like, they had a fucking TV show about this guy. No, I'm not going to do the, the <laughs> Davy Crockett as a subject. Well, who are you discussing, then? We're discussing Davy Crockett. This is a story of a descendant of his who happens to share the same name. I see. Why would they do that? <laughs> I don't know, but I bet you if Davy the Elder had been around, he'd have wished that they'd have named him something else. Um, my, fa my favorite name of a uh, relative of an early American uh, uh, famous figure was George Washington. I think it was his nephew who was actually one of the first Supreme Court justices. His name was Bushrod Washington. Yes. Oh, that's a baller-ass name. Yeah. So, this Davy Crockett was born in 1853 in Tennessee. And when Davy reached adulthood, he struck out on his own. He and his friend Peter Burleson uh, moved to Cimarron, New Mexico, and started a ranch. Now, Cimarron, New Mexico in the uh, late 1860s, early 1870s, this is the Wild West. All the psycho shit that you've heard about from the Old West, this is where it was happening. Just keep that in mind as we roll along with this story. Um, by all accounts, when Davy Crockett showed up, he was a little arrogant, but overall a decent guy who got along with most people. This would change, however, after he fell under the influence of tonight's sub-guy, his ranch foreman, Gus Heffron. Gus Heffron. <clears throat> yep. Gus, Gus held a time-honored position, one that uh, many of our guys that we've discussed on the show have held over the, over the episodes. Gus Heffron was the town pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My Even favorite. a lot of our guys, there's some guys who we've discussed them because their character explicitly is about being the town pain in the ass. There are others who we didn't explore that aspect of them, but they definitely were. Yeah. Yeah. It's implied in most people we cover. I mean, you want to tell me that wherever Giuseppe Zangara lived, everyone <laughs> didn't hate him? There's no way. I, wherever Steve Lightfoot is currently, he's that town's pain in the ass. Yeah, absolutely. So Gus introduced Davy to his favorite hobbies, bullying the townsfolk and committing petty crimes. 
when As, you know when I read broken about clock, etc. etc. Et <laughs> yeah. When I when I read about this guy, I always picture him as uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character in Tombstone. Uh, mm. If you remember the guy in the casino that Kurt Russell just slaps the shit out of. <laughs> yeah. What a great movie. Yeah. Unfortunately, Wyatt Earp was nowhere to be found, and these two drunk dipshits continued to run roughshod over the area for the next couple of years. In 1872, Davy was arrested. For what, I couldn't actually find, and he was sent to jail. But, pretty shortly he escaped, and again, this is the Wild West. He just kind of kept living in Cimarron as a free man. Yeah. I guess local law enforcement was just like, yeah, you got out, that one's on us. Yeah. I mean, wasn't that it one something... Free. Wasn't it something where it's like, breaking out of jail wasn't technically a crime, and like if you were out, you had already served your sentence or some shit? I, you know, I don't know. I guess that's really more a question for Alex. He's our legal guy, but... Uh, I, I don't know about back then. I can tell you that's definitely not true now. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, now, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... Davy would reach the pinnacle of his infamy in 1876. On the evening in question, Davy had been drinking with Gus and their friend Henry Goodman at the local saloons and gambling halls. We have two versions, potentially, of what happened next. So this is the official narrative and generally accepted as the truth. Story goes that these three men decided to call it a night, but first they wanted to grab a bottle of whiskey for the road, and so they stopped at local establishment, the St. James Hotel. When Davy went up to the door, he found that, coincidentally, I, I'm guessing this is one of those swinging doors that just goes both ways and doesn't actually have a knob. Oh, I hope um, so. When Davy, I, I'm, I think it kind of has to be. Uh, just based on what happened next, when Davy went up to the door, he found that coincidentally somebody else was trying to open the door from the other side. <laughs> so, like, neither of them could open the door. I remember being a very little kid, the uh, hair salon that our mom went to. Um, we would annoy the shit out of her while she was getting her hair done because uh, it had, like, a door that worked kind of like that. And we would just, like, yeah. walk through it over and over like we were entering <laughs> a saloon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hell, I still do that. Um, yeah, so. Davy apparently was not in the mood for this, and the guy on the other side, who happened to be a local Buffalo soldier, uh, when he did manage to finally open the door, Davy just fucking shot him dead. Okay. Um, like a bit of an overreaction. But... <laughs> he then spun around, saw a group of buff other Buffalo soldiers playing cards and then fired into that group, killing three of them. I guess he figured, uh, you're here with this guy, you're going to come after me if I don't kill you right now. In I mean, for a penny, for a pound, they may as well. At this point, Davy seems to realize just how badly he had just fucked up. <laughs> and he fled the town. Uh, spent the next few months in hiding in ranches in the area until he finally agreed to come in for a hearing in front of a justice of the peace. Speaking of laws that are definitely not the case anymore, uh, Davy argued that since he had shot the men while he was drunk, he was not responsible for his actions. That one does not work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I fucking wish it did. Um, but anyway. Yeah. 
The the judge, however, agreed. There is, again, there's a little rumor that there was either some bribing or strong-arming that went into that verdict, but we'll never know for sure. Anyway, Davey walked out with a $50 fine for carrying a gun in town. All other charges dismissed. <laughs> now, this is a bad outcome for a couple of reasons. First of all, just because that's bullshit. Like that, that's, an, that's an insane ruling. That precedent is is very very slippery to just you know all right i'm about to commit a crime all right let me just drink some whiskey real quick yeah like i get drunk on a semi-regular basis and i hardly ever shoot anybody like that that's just not an excuse yeah it's very infrequent uh but the second and maybe more serious consequence of this is that davy and gus realized that they could just do whatever the fuck they wanted like, there, there was, like, if you can get away with this, sky's the limit. You can fucking do whatever. And Davey would regularly, uh, regularly ride his horse into businesses and either just shoot straight into the ceiling or force people at gunpoint to perform such services as shining his boots. <laughs> On one occasion, for. he... He apparently forced the town sheriff, Isaiah Reinhardt, at gunpoint to drink whiskey until he was incapacitated. Is he Jigsaw? What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, this guy had a bit of a mean streak. He also, this is my my favorite one. He once bought a suit and had the bill sent to Reinhardt's house. (laughs) I mean, that's just quirky. I like that. That's, this is good fun. This, this guy, this fucking sheriff, has got to be like the sheriff and the man who shot Liberty Valance, just completely and totally, just yeah, constantly being pushed over by everybody. A quality that you really don't want in your old west sheriff is a uh, a, a humiliation fetish. <laughs> like Davy Crockett and the sheriff are in a dom sub relationship. That's what's going on here. He's every sheriff in Bugs Bunny who wasn't Yosemite Sam. Like, he's just, like, completely inept and, like, lightly dopey. Well, this got old pretty quickly for Isaiah (laughs) Reinhardt. And he said, all right, I'm going to have to do something about this. We (laughs) We just can't have this. We just can't be having this. So he formed a small posse. And they didn't really anticipate much trouble in catching them, as Davy and Gus didn't really know they were being pursued. They still, like, even as they were doing this, they weren't 100% sure. I mean, there's a bunch of shit you could charge them with, but they weren't really sure exactly what charges they were going to bring them in on. They just said, look, we're going to take care of this one way or the other. Uh, Isaiah Reinhardt and his men posted up by a barn on the ranch and waited. Sure enough, Davy and Gus rode up to the barn. Uh, they were ordered to surrender. Davy and Gus ignored the warning. And Davy Crockett's cocky streak might have finally gotten him into trouble because the posse immediately just opened fire. <laughs> um, Davy was killed and Gus was wounded and arrested. He would later on escape and disappear. No one ever really found out what happened to him. That is the accepted version of this story, according to pretty much every official source. But the Crockett family disagrees. 
here's their version of this whole thing uh, folded out, beginning with that night back in 1876 with the three men going out drinking at the saloon. According to the family history of the Crockett's, Isaiah Reinhardt really wanted Davy Crockett's horse. And when Davy refused to sell it, Reinhardt accused him of being a horse thief. He was Ooh. just going to confiscate it that way. That's, he then, that, is not, that is not an yeah. accusation to throw around lightly. That's, times. that's no. big weight. Yeah. Not only is that a blow to your reputation, but also this guy's essentially stealing your horse. Um, they then claimed that those three Buffalo soldiers that, uh, Ryan, uh, that uh, Davey killed uh, were actually sent after Davey by Reinhardt, and he killed those soldiers in self-defense. Then they said Reinhardt and his men shot and killed Davy in an ambush. Now, if I were a very wealthy and influential Tennessee family, I might it might be said that I had a vested interest in this guy not looking like quite as big a shitbag. So I think there's a sizable grain of salt we need to take that that potential outcome with. But yeah, it, just saying it's there. It, it puts me in the very hard position. Do I trust the rich family or the police? And I have a very hard time figuring out where I want to side. You know what? Back in the back in those days, I think most of the sheriffs would just tell you what happened. Yeah, that's probably true. Either way, for a second time, Davy Crockett was dead. <laughs> but this time, a lot fewer people were bummed about it. And that is the story of Davy Crockett 2.0. So <laughs> That uh, brings me to my big question. So if you two will put on your coonskin thinking caps. Uh, mm -hmm. I want you to put yourself in a town in the Old West. You are the town pain in the ass, the town nuisance. What do you do that ends up being the final straw? What is it that you do that the town finally just decides they've had enough and decides to kill you? Yeah, for me, like, it's probably going to be hard for me to carve out a niche in an old West town. Um, like, I'm not going to be the toughest guy there. I'm not going to be the best shot there. I might be in the upper tier of card players, but I'm not going to be the best card player probably. So I'm going to be uh, the town critic. Um, <laughs> what, nobody's going to ask me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to have a, a lot of very petty things to say about people's, uh, people's hats and shaps. Um, and this will probably get me killed within a week because it's the old West. You see <laughs> Uh, for me, I'm going to take what's probably not something that was ever really actually said in that time, but it's more just a cliche of our times. I'm going to say this town ain't big enough for the two of us, but I'm going to do it with everything. Uh, like, I'm going to lay down with my wife at the end of the day, this bed ain't big enough for the two of us. I'm going to, like, go to take a shit at a saloon, and, like, there's going to be, like, a guy, like, a this crapper ain't big enough for the two of us. Like I'm going to do it for everything. And it's going to get real fucking old, real fucking quick. Like uh, Michael Scott, that's what she said level of just like, all right, shut the fuck up already. <laughs> and like Alex, I'm going to be dead within a week. So uh, yeah, I could see that actually. That's a fun <laughs> bit for about five, five seconds. Yeah. yeah. It's um, funner for me, the longer it goes on. So for me, um, so we've, we've already established that for the town pain in the ass, one of the favorite pastimes was rustling. But I'm, you know, I don't have the commitment or talent to be a horse rustler, a cattle rustler. 
I'm gonna start rustling people's dogs and cats <laughs> and just their pets. I'm just gonna steal everyone's pets and everyone's gonna get real mad real quick. I'm not gonna hurt them or anything. They're just gonna be living and hanging out with me. But everyone's gonna be like, hey, want my cat back, asshole. <laughs> I'm really glad you said you're not going to hurt them because I got I've been thinking Ray Caldwell this entire time and Ray Caldwell shot like that family's dog three different times with like three different <laughs> dogs. So I'm glad we're not fully going that way. So Ken McElroy, you're thinking of Ken yeah. McElroy. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I think very quickly, um, you know, somebody's going to be very irked at having to come get their St. Bernard for the third time this week, because it's always me stealing it. Anytime somebody's pet goes missing, they know where it is. Like, I get caught immediately every time. And then uh, I'm going to be tarred and feathered. Well, it's it's hard to hide uh, uh, what you're doing when you're out in the front yard playing fetch. Yeah. And, giving and, and scritching their bellies. Yeah. Just put a new collar with a different name on all of them. <laughs> it's a it's a dog bowl with like a dry erase spot on the front of it. <laughs> good answers, good answer. I, we'd make great uh, we'd make great town pains in the ass. Agreed. Um, I wonder why that is. So <laughs> I'm up second this week. Um, and look, I've been really busy. Um, work super hectic. Uh, we're in the process. Sarah's moving into my house, so. Um, I've had a lot going on, um, and I haven't, I haven't really had a ton of time to do like a full large scale research project or a, a big lengthy topic. So instead this week, I bring you the short, but sweet tale of a guy who we haven't discussed on here before. Um, even though I think it's obligatory for a show about guys, um, we're talking about Toronto attorney, Gary Hoy, uh, this also falls into one of our subgenres of classic internet true stories that go around. Other <laughs> examples would be like Gloria Ramirez or Armin Mivas, uh, where others examples of this. If you hang around the right parts of the internet, you've definitely heard this story. Um, it starts off as a fairly ordinary tale of a, of a very smart, overachieving person. Gary Hoy was originally an engineer, but eventually he decided to make a career pivot by going to law school. Um, you know, having been to law school myself, um, I do recall that there are people kind of like this. They're doing uh, law as a second career. Often they've already had their sights set on a particular legal job that incorporates expertise from uh, the first career. For example, uh, one of my classmates um, was a manager at an Emo's Pizza, and I was going to law school with the idea that Emo's was going to hire them uh, for their legal counsel once he was done. Um, a much less fun example, a guy who I... <laughs> know quite well, was a former police officer and now uh, specializes as a defense attorney for police officers who are in legal trouble. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I did not know that that's what he was doing. I got I got along with him pretty well in law school. Um, so now when I see him, like, I'm, you know, I'm cordial, but uh, we just don't talk much about what's going on with work. You're not mad, you're disappointed. Gary wound up getting hired on at a very prominent law firm in Toronto called Harold Day Wilson. Eventually, yeah. he works his way up to the position of senior partner. Like, he was in the big time. Gary had built up a great reputation, and this was a very prominent law firm. His specialty as an attorney was safety and compliance law, which could be quite complicated, but no doubt his engineering background helped with that. 
Carol Day Wilson's offices were on the 24th floor of the Toronto Dominion Centre, a huge skyscraper in Toronto's downtown skyline. Like a lot of prominent law firms, Harold Day Wilson often hosted law students who wanted to see what the day-to-day -day life in the field is like. Now, something about lawyers uh, is that we're all huge dorks at the end of the day. <laughs> and when presented with the opportunity to show off in front of young attorneys or law students, we can get a bit cringe. Mm. Gary had a uh, particular demonstration he liked doing when the students passed through. As a safety and regulations expert, I can kind of maybe see why this would be relevant to things he was talking about, but still, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure what this was meant to prove. Um, as a demonstration of the structural integrity of the glass in his office, what Gary would always do for the students was just run across his office straight into the window. Oh, no. <laughs> It was reported is, in particular, he'd uh, go about five, six paces, go full speed, and then a lunge into, because it was one of, like, the big windows where it takes up the whole wall, you know? He would just, like, jump right into it. Okay, <laughs> so, are we sure this guy's not just insane? Because I cannot, for the life of me, figure out what the point of that could possibly be, other than he just likes doing it. What? As someone who takes antidepressants of a high volume, like I, I get the, I, I get the appeal of, of you know, funny if it works, funnier if it doesn't. But why? Huh. I'll say, like, as as a former law student myself, again, like, I, I don't know whether this would have really done much for me. <laughs> um, like, we're we're very on edge and scared of everything uh, anyway, and I, I think. I don't know. I honestly don't know how I would have reacted to this. Um, like a nervous chuckle, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a window, bud. Tell me about like, being oh, a lawyer. Well, I will not be working here. Are you sure you work here? <laughs> ah, so you're saying I won't go through the glass ceiling here. Noted. <laughs> oh, did I say he was senior partner? I meant janitor. Um, <laughs> and he was working on this really complex math problem on a, a, a chalkboard outside the math room. I meant client. <laughs> but the glass never broke, not even once. Um, he would always just bounce right off of it. And that was it. That was the bit. Huh. I've had worse bits, I guess. Um, I would say I would be I would only be impressed if I saw him do this for the first time. That would be pretty impressive <laughs> to me. After he's already done it a few times and he knows it's going to work, a little bit less impressive. That's just like a cheap jump scare, you know? It's like, is this guy a human, like, human bird or something? Just flying straight like, in the class? Like, did one of the building engineers tell him that and then he tested it? Like, how do you, how do you come about that knowledge of your building? Engineer's like, oh, shit. I didn't I, think that's what was going to happen. I thought he was going to go through the glass. I was fucking with him. I just, I just thought it was a good view and really nice glass. I'm, yeah, I hope he doesn't die. Yeah, this is their hazing. They've been through 15, <laughs> 15 potential law partners in the last year. Uh, they're, I, they're I just working want to tell their... a... Go ahead, Jack. I said, they're, they're working their way down the building. They're trying to see how funny it can be and the person still live. So I, I want to tell a real quick story that doesn't really have anything to do with this, but it does include janitors fucking with people, and it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. So a guy I used to work with when I first started calling sports for the radio station, 
Um, he was kind of a weird dude and not overly likable. So this was very funny to me. But anyway, he's exactly the kind of guy who would fall for this. Um, at one point, he was at a game and he wanted to do in the pregame, as we sometimes do, tell you who the officials are. So he asked a guy who seemed to be working there um, what the officials' names were. And uh, this guy told him, yeah, that's uh, Norm Peterson, Cliff Clavin, and Sam Malone. And uh, this guy actually said that over the, ear and the, over the air, and the other guy who was calling the game with him went, the characters from Cheers? <laughs> the officials tonight? <laughs> Turned out that guy was the janitor, and he was just fucking with him. <laughs> That's a great bit, because, like... I love a good bit when you can't even think of how they thought of it. <laughs> like, yeah. like who even comes up with that bit? Like it's, it's, it's one thing to do the, the great Bart, Bart Simpson prank where you make someone say something dirty, yeah. but the characters from cheers. That's fucking, that's like avant-garde. It's brilliant. Yeah. 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 There's not like an inherently offensive pun in there. Kudos. <laughs> um, so this was very strange. Safe to say. Um, but it was just part of good old Gary being good old Gary, and hey, it never failed him. I want to, I want to see what the money line is right now for our listeners about uh, placing their bets on whether this glass is going to break eventually. I, uh, I think it's got to be like a I one wanna, to one. I want to know if there was an office pool. <laughs> um, imagine being like that guy's neighbor, and you just hear like crunk, you're like. It's fucking showing an intern around again. How God damn it. How many, yeah. Well, that's how scary. Many how many times do you think Gary can do this before it breaks? What's the magic number? <laughs> the last time Gary would perform this stunt was on July 9th, 1993. <laughs> oh, Gary, yep. Gary was giving a tour of the Harold Day Wilson offices to a dozen students. Big audience. Uh, he can think of no better way to entertain the group than by once again running and jumping straight into his office window. So, on this day, Gary rears back. He gets his usual five, six paces to build up speed. He lunges into the window, and this time, the same thing happens that always happens. He bounces right off the glass and onto the floor. Gary had beaten the danger yet again. Okay. He could have just called it a day right there, of course. Um, oh, no. But this group of students was particularly entertained by all this. Uh, they let out a scream, which turned to laughter. Uh, they, re they loved this bit. <laughs> he had found his audience. Oh, no. Most easily um, amused law students. So Gary Hoy was not one to, uh, to disappoint an audience. And so he figured, how else could he follow up this enthusiastic response than with an encore performance. Oh. Some guy holding up a lighter. <laughs> Gary, again, took his customary five to six paces and ran his customary full speed straight into the window. Now, the good news is that the glass once again did not break. The bad news is that this time, the entire window pane popped out of its frame. <laughs> So how do you settle how do you settle the office pool then if it technically didn't break? I bet you somebody quibbled about that. 
Yeah, well, they're so, lawyers, so they they were fighting yeah. over that for years. They might have actually gone to court over this. Look, look, the book said he goes through the window. If he went over the window, it doesn't. Look, so here's here's my question: Is this the worst? Well, I don't know about worst. Is this one of the shittiest ways to die you've ever heard of? Because here's the thing. You're high up in a skyscraper. You gotta fall for a while before you die. You've got a good 10-15 seconds to think about what just happened. Um, that's gotta well, be fucking awful. Well, I will tell you, that's that's not quite how it went. Although the, the reality is not too much better. Um... Gary actually hit the 10th floor window on the way down, leaving a red splatter like so many bugs on so many windshields. Then he landed on a large decorative stone on the busy sidewalk below where he was obliterated. Oh my god. So, maybe the the maybe 14 floors down he died. It's hard to say. Um, Although. But yeah. With, with nothing to slow his momentum this time, Gary Hoy fell 24 stories to the ground below where he did die on impact. Just the idea that your last thought has to be this, like, realizing what it is that you've just done, like, in front of people. Oh, that's got to be the worst. Is, so for the 12 people that saw that, is there, like, a part of their brain that thinks this is still a bit? Yeah, did they cheer and laugh again? <laughs> like, is there like a slow clap? Like, how the fuck did he pull this off? Like, this is some now you see me shit. So the, these poor dozen students, likely already stressed out to the max and hoping to escape the dregs of law school for a day, instead were treated to a cruelly ironic death by hubris. Another student was in the next room getting a snack and recalled <laughs> what her experience uh, was. She heard a bunch of laughter, then a thump, then a bunch of screaming, and then a strong gust of air. Oh, no. <laughs> so, here's what I want to know. You're these law students who have just witnessed this. How do you tell people about this? <laughs> Who's going to believe this? Like, do you... When your parents ask you how law school's going... How do you tell them this story and get them to buy it? Well, I, I met one of the uh, I met one of the most brilliant attorneys in the city, and uh, he he fucking jumped out of a window on accident, <laughs> on purpose, on accident, on purpose, on accident. Yeah. So, yeah, I just that's got to be so like. I imagine it's a lot like uh, Alan Tudyk in Tucker and Dale versus Evil after that kid jumps uh, first <laughs> into the wood chipper. <laughs> he just he just hooked himself right into the wood chipper. You just completely not... can't believe what's just happened. You are not going to believe the day we're having. <laughs> uh, so so uh, the story was. So the story was uh, reported on all over the or all across the media in Toronto. Uh, it found its way onto the early internet, which was no less mean than it is now. Um, and this, the story was not to be callous, but a smash hit. Ah! I said not to be callous, so it's okay. Um, yeah. 
Unfortunately, this was also in the heyday of the Darwin Awards, of which Gary is one of the best-known recipients. Uh, Shout out to the Darwin Awards. (laughs) Sorry, sir, we're going to have to delay your case. Uh, Our most brilliant attorney just hucked himself out of a 14th story window. Uh, uh, Yeah, I know some judges who wouldn't give you a continuance for that. (laughs) (laughs) So a structural engineer was quoted as saying in the Toronto Star... I don't know of any building uh, code in the world that would allow a 160-pound man to run up against glass and withstand it. So it was probably like a small miracle that it had actually worked this many times. <laughs> and again, it, for, from what I know, this was the first time he'd ever done it twice in a row. That that probably was all it took. Yeah, the the rare uh, two days aren't actually good for your health. I feel like the, if you're I feel like if you're gonna do this, you have to do it in different spots. <laughs> this is a glowing red weak spot on that wall. <laughs> the story gained some revitalized attention about fifteen years ago when it was portrayed on the TV show A Thousand Ways to Die. Ah, a show okay, yeah. definitely a guy of shows. It's one that's aged interestingly, I would say. Yeah. Um my um Death by, um, uh, was it Bananas? That guy. I'm pretty sure he was a thousand ways to die caricature. That does not surprise me. Um, yeah, that's one of those shows that's just like a bit of a time capsule. Like almost like the movie Superbad is a time capsule. Yeah. Like Superbad wouldn't make any sense other than the year, I think, 2007. I think yeah. a thousand ways to die was in like 2008, 2009. Yeah. It would not make any sense outside of the context of those two years. That, that, and I was reminded of it a couple of days ago, the really, really overly produced uh, Deadliest Warrior show. Oh, yeah. Which would I put think, like samurais against like Navy SEALs. Yep. And I think those were, were those both Spike TV productions? Yeah. 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 Very, very heavily dramatized, ridiculous shows. Weeknights back in those days, I remember watching those. I remember watching Monster Quest, which I think was on fucking History Channel, which is just shameful. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, they're very nihilistic times the late 2000s were. Um, I think we're going to look back on that era with a lot of confusion. As much fun as the cold, cruel world has had at Gary Hoy's expense... The fallout really did suck. Uh, like Gary left behind a family, and a bunch of people yeah, saw this happen, did. and were trauma, <laughs> and were traumatized for life. Harold Day I, Wilson, Harold Day Wilson struggled to fill the void left by the loss of their twelve-year senior partner. They attempted an ugly and ill-fated merger with another firm. Then, eventually, three years later, the prominent and successful law firm closed down for good. So, like Damn. this just this just started the ball rolling for a major law firm to go under. Crazy to think about. I mean, when when you're like your law firm and then your prominent lawyer and then the word free fall are in a headline together, you're really not going to get back up. Mm-hmm. So uh, the I'll go ahead and, and cite my main source for this, an article in Medium.com by Sean Kernan. And his takeaway at the end was like, you know, I, I've I've had laughs at his expense in the past. But like when I look at it, like it is kind of a fucking bummer. And I will say, let's not kid ourselves. This is funny, okay? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's like the Kachi the Poodle thing. It just is funny. I know yeah. I know people died, but that that can be funny in certain situations. Now, this granted, is, it is, is extremely like the... gallows funny, but it is funny. 
This reminds me a lot of my guy who um, dipped the the gum in the explosive powder and blew his head off. <laughs> <laughs> like it's funny. I'm sorry. It just is. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, it it is just it's funny in about the darkest way possible. I'll acknowledge that. But you know, goddamn it, the world's really dark. Shit happens that sucks every day, and most of it is a lot less amusing than this. And um. You know, hopefully I'm not disrespecting Gary Hoy with this story, but I, I will reiterate what I've said on this show multiple times. If I ever die in a way that is this funny, it is okay to laugh. I just want a record of that. So uh, this brings me to my big question for the two of you. Um, have you ever embarrassed yourself trying to impress somebody? We've talked about this on the show before. Um <clears throat> Trying to impress people is not something I do very often. Uh, it's not something that, A, not really something that sits well with me. I don't like it. But, but also just, you know, I, I feel like the best way to make a good first impression is not to make a bad first impression. Like, I'm just trying to break even most of the time. Um, so I've never done anything nearly this egregious. But I will say... Have we we've told the story about the one and only time I've ever puked from consuming al alcohol, correct? Yes, I believe okay. so. But let's go over it again. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, long story short, I was with some of my friends and I drank uh, almost an entire fifth of Captain Morgan in a very short amount of time, despite not having eaten since uh, like noon or slightly before. So, my friends had when i mentioned that i hadn't eaten anything they're like oh well do you want to like we've got food do you want to eat something before i was like nah nah i'll be fine you know just try just try not to seem soft like oh no i can handle it um and i could not handle it so i guess that's probably about as close as uh close as i've ever come to anything like this uh yeah cody i sometime i'd love to hear this story although i don't think it's nearly as funny from your perspective uh as other people's perspective, I, I think our, our friend Marissa was involved in this one as well. But like the uh, time after that wedding out in the country, when they just like found you laying out in the grass, what the fuck happened there? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so they did not find me laying out in the grass. <laughs> this was just, this was another one of these terrible coincidences that happens to me. <laughs> so we were at this wedding and uh, we had all been drinking a little bit, except for me. I had been drinking a lot. Um, so anyway, we're out at this out at this farmhouse is where the reception is. So we're just kind of out on the farm, and I go behind the machine shed to take a piss. On my way back, I tripped in, uh -huh. I guess, a mole hole or a gopher hole or something, and I fell just flat on my face. It's like fuck. Uh, great. I'm going to have, you know, just sitting there thinking about my misfortune, not three to four seconds later, one of my friends comes walking around, uh, the other side. <laughs> so it very much looked like I had just passed out <laughs> face first on the ground. <laughs> so then I had to explain like, no, no, I'm not like, no, we're not, we're not there yet. I just, <laughs> I just fell down is all. Um, I, I will say I'm not sure. I, I know. That is something that you do, because I've seen another example of this. When you, when you like, fall down, you will just kind of lie there for, <laughs> for a little bit, kind of collect your bearings and, like, get your grumblings out. I remember one example of, um, 
I think we must have been in college and like home on break. Um, but like, uh, my mom had started, or our mom, my mom, Jesus, <laughs> our mom, our mom had started the Christmas decorating. So like, had all those those plastic boxes sitting upstairs just in the living room, uh-huh. and um, and I heard, I knew that that they were out there, and I heard at probably about midnight a really loud thud. And I, I already kind of figured what must have happened, which is that um, you went into the kitchen and you didn't turn on the living room light and you didn't know they were there and you tripped and, and fell flat on your face. Uh-huh. And like, I didn't, I didn't leave my room for probably a good, like, 15, 20 seconds. And when I did come out into the room and turn the light on, you were just still there. <laughs> and that is, in fact, what happened. You were fine. You were just like, I think you were so pissed off about what had happened. You just needed, you just needed some time. Sometimes well, there's like... You have to like be angry at yourself and the situation, and you can only do that while still being prone. Yeah. Well, part you have to of lie there was... and curse God for a little for a <laughs> yeah. little bit. Like when when you've got a body like mine that's already a little bit beat up, you've got to when you fall unexpectedly and you stand up, you got to kind of be careful. You got to kind of flex everything first to make sure nothing is uh, out of commission before you try standing up. Also, it was in fact pitch black, so like. I had to like try and negotiate a way to stand up without uh, tripping and falling yet again. <laughs> so uh, yeah, between that and just like generally trying to be in a better mood before I stood up. Uh, yeah. It took a little while. What about you, Jack John? Um, it, it's a miracle that I ended up marrying this woman. But when I first started talking to my wife, um, she had asked like like what like my hobbies were and i said like i was like into pro wrestling and if you know me and you get me to like talking about something i really really like i can accidentally just go on for far too long and far too deep a detail for a very surface level question and i talked about pro wrestling for a uncomfortable amount of time and my wife and i went back uh like a year or two after we had been dating and looked at our old tinder messages to each other and it is it is pages and pages of me talking about how awesome pro wrestling is, and her clearly just not giving a shit. <laughs> and being like, "Oh, cool, neat." Uh, so that's, <laughs> yeah. uh, we went back, and it was pretty goddamn embarrassing. <laughs> uh, to the point where it's now a joke between my wife on how excited I was about it. Um, I don't know. Th- this isn't my answer because this actually worked, but I don't know if I've. I've told you the story about like the weird things that happened on, on Sarah and I's first date. Um, Oh yeah. You told a little bit about this. Yeah. We went to um, this bar and restaurant by where she lives that we like. Um, And uh, first of all, they sat us like side by side, which is always a weird way to start. My, my my friend, Steve and Mary, who uh, their, their first date was also a side by side date. And it's just amazing. You get past that. And it was in December. Um, and this place was really loud, but um, Gremlins 2 was on the TV, and there was no <laughs> audio, so, like, you know, I get a little bit bashful, and so I was kind of, I was kind of, like, trying to explain what was going on, even though I had no idea, <laughs> and we're just, like, riffing on on what we were seeing, but then also it helped that, like, there was another first date happening a couple tables away, and they were doing so much worse than we were, oh, so no. we started riffing on them. I remember at one point, this guy was, like, uh... So do you like vinegar? That what? probably that probably got us about 10 15 minutes of conversation. I'm like, "Fucking vinegar? What are you talking about, uh, man? This so girl's never going to see you I again." I love the 
I love that from behind, you and Sarah's first date looked like an episode of MST3K. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It, it, it perfectly like sets up the entire relationship there. But, and also, like, uh, even though it was December, there was a goddamn tornado warning in the middle of our date, and like everyone's phones went off. But we looked outside, and it was fine, so we kind of just carried on our business. Turns out we were both sick and trying to pretend we weren't sick (laughs) because we delayed the date like twice before this. This fucking... So you actually... I never thought I would say this, but you got lucky with Gremlins 2 because that is a very good movie to riff on without sound. Uh, Yes. It's a really dumb movie. Uh, It's it's not good at all, but it's kind of fun. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I like the first Gremlins. That's a a classic. The second one is fucking terrible. Not too good. My actual answer is, um, and this gets back to what we were talking about with falling down. Um, I remember actually a couple times where I, I fell down trying to look cool. First was um, in high school when we went to, the morning we went to go take the ACTs. Like, I was actually like, I usually, I hate taking tests. Um, like, I'm pretty good at taking tests, but I hate taking tests. They, they suck so fucking bad. Um, and I was going to like... Uh, but I, I was feeling pretty chipper that morning and I was going to be like the first one off the bus. Um, and I go to step off the bus with my entire class behind me and uh, my shoes were wet from the morning dew and I just fucking fell. I fell on my back first. Oh, I'm amazed I did well in that test. That I that yeah, that's a great I moment. would not have been. Yeah. But then another time we were in the, the football locker room um, and one of my thankfully the whole team wasn't in there to witness this. Just a few people. Um, but one of my friends was really fucking with me, um, pretty bad. And I'm like, you know what? I'm sick of this shit. And so I went, I went to just like, we're by the lockers. I was going to just like shove him into the locker and like get in his face and tell him to knock it off. But, um, I was like, it was concrete floor and I was still wearing my cleats. I hadn't taken them off yet. So I was just like slip sliding around. I had no traction and I fell down. (laughs) What are you going to do? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, well, good answers both. And that is the uh, obligatory story of, of uh, Gary Hoy. Um, which brings us to our last topic of the evening, which is Jack John. Jack John, who's your guy? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's football season, and that has me in a mood to talk about some weird football moments. Uh, and I can't think of a better way to do it, and the eventual conversation that this is going to lead to, than with my guy this week, Orlando Brown. Mm-hmm. Orlando was born in Washington, D.C. in November of 1970. A bit of a miracle right out of the gate, Orlando was born severely premature and weighing only three pounds and two ounces. Holy crap. It's a small little nugget. Yeah, very, very premature. Uh, His mother, uh, who was a junior high Greek mythology teacher, decided to name him Zeus because of this heroic recovery at birth, uh, something that would be a little bit foreshadowing for later. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, And as you may know, growing up in D.C. can be incredibly difficult, to put it mildly. Uh, Orlando graduated from H.D. Woodson High School, uh, a school in northeast uh, boundary of D.C. area. And like many others in that uh, area, that school was severely underfunded and understaffed. Um, Yeah, D.C. DC is a top place. It ain't the beltway for everybody. Yeah, that's that's not a great place to grow up. Yeah. It's like one side of it, it's like deeply impoverished. The other side of it is like fucking rich politicians. Like it's, it's just, it's tough yeah. all around. The people who have everything deserve it the least. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into a little bit of just 
a minor glimpse into how shit DC is, but it, it's not pretty. It's like a people who are like, yeah, I want to go DC. want to go to DC. I'm like, I, I don't actually. I, I have no intention to really ever see DC. Yeah, my dad and I went to DC uh, right after I graduated college and we did have a good time, but there were some pretty fucking depressing elements. Yeah. We enjoyed the museums, though. Those are yeah. good. Uh, but when in 1988 and 89, when Orlando would have been graduating, the building that he was in was physically deteriorating and local government didn't seem to give a shit for most of the schools and his in particular. No. Wow. Public schools being neglected? Uh, while I don't have the numbers from the exact time that this was happening, uh, today that school is 98.9% African-American, and I'm sure that has most of the reason to do with it. So I wonder why they didn't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to Wikipedia, the, uh, break... <laughs> according to the breakdown on Wikipedia today, uh, there were two white students in the entirety of the school between 2000 and 2001, or uh, 2020 and 2021. So I don't know what the uh, the demographics were, you know, 20 years before or even 30, but I don't think they changed that much. Public schools get neglected anyway, but that demographic, you're guaranteed they're going to get neglected. Yeah. Um, As we've also alluded to, D.C. is incredibly violent. Uh, In Orlando's own words, D.C. stands for death certificate. That's often what follows with the the poverty and the uh, poor funding in in, uh, public services. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a badass movie. That would be a badass movie line if it weren't A, true, and B, sad. Yeah. It like an over the top like early two thousands political violence thriller where it's just like the president yep. has a machine gun. Uh, but Orlando had attended a funeral for his fourteen year old cousin while he was in D.C. and asked that his mother not attend due to fear of violence. When his mother insisted that she attend, Orlando made it a point to stand guard over her uh, while she was there, and with just reason, as during the funeral, and I quote from an article I read. Five dudes walked in out of nowhere, started kicking the casket, threw it on the floor, and started shooting the body up. So, if if someone tells you don't come to this funeral, it might get violent, that means it's going to get violent. Yeah. Like, there are only certain kinds of funerals that happens at, and yeah, if the possibility is there, it's there's a good chance. I've... I've made probably my fair share of enemies, as anyone could probably assume about me. I don't think anyone's going to come shoot my dead body at my funeral, but I would be surprised. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the catchphrase is death to Jack John, not death <laughs> and then subsequent shooting of Jack John. Uh, but Orlando knew that he had to get out of D.C. any way he could, uh, because in his own words, if he stayed in D.C., you either get killed or you end up killing somebody. And he found a way out, uh, like a lot of people do, through football. Uh, It also helped that Zeus, now living up to his child nickname, was a massive wall of a human being, standing 6'7 and 340 pounds. Ooh, boy. Yeah, that's a guy you only fuck with if you're trying to prove a point. (laughs) I was going to say, I I bet you he didn't get fucked with as much as a lot of kids in that area did. Yeah. It, uh, at one of the articles I read, they were like, we don't know how he got so big. His mom was 5'2", and they had a theory when he was younger that they gave him growth hormones because he was so underweight 
and then it, it just did the wrong thing to his body and it like <laughs> captain america super serumed him it ac- accidentally kept him uh, taking him until he was three <laughs> uh is that a is that a horse like is that is that growth hormone no no that's his bottle that's cool <laughs> uh but orlando had stated uh that one of the key people helping him get along uh um, out of D.C. was his high school coach who would routinely check in on him, offer him rides to keep him off the streets, and kept him on a firm routine of football, weightlifting, and studying. Uh, he would attend Central State and play as a defensive lineman team until eventually transferring to South Carolina State, where he would transition to being left tackle his senior year. Uh, another one of my guys who played defense and then switched to offense uh, when he realized it was easier to push people a different direction. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. He had a solid year, uh, but nothing too flashy, and would ultimately be undrafted before signing as a free agent with Cleveland, uh, uh, the Cleveland Browns in that year in 1993. The combination of offensive line coach Pat Hill and head coach Bill Belichick knew they had a diamond of a player if they could just figure him out. By 1994, uh, Orlando was the starter on the offense for the second half of the season due to injury and would help keep the pass rush offense uh, going uh, just a little bit better than it had before. Uh, This was in part due to him being a natural, being, again, a massive human being. And at the heart of it, he kept just enough DC in him to make him a really good football player. Yeah, not much scares you after coming out of those streets, I don't think. Orlando would later say, I don't really like football, but I like to pound people. I like to um, hit people when I want. Ain't no guns on the field, but almost anything goes. I like to see a man suffer in front of me. Well, that's I, that's I, uh, that's unfortunate. I feel like it's cliche, but this is the, the, the first guy you want coming off the bus. In fact, I think put him in like a fucking Hannibal Lecter... <laughs> <laughs> uh, protective outfit. And that's really going to sell it. I want him to look There's like a cheap wrestler. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I'm just imagining him in the NFL. They're bringing in uh, left tackle Orlando Brown in his signature Gucci straight jacket. <laughs> he's, uh, he's what the great Kali was in the longest yard remake. <laughs> he's just bashing his head on a uh, wall. Forgot he was I- in that. Uh, there's a weird amount of wrestlers in that movie if you go back and watch it. I remember Stone Cold Steve NFL Austin. players. Uh, Goldberg, Kevin Nash. There's a lot of people in it. Uh, by all accounts, Orlando was a very nice person, but he knew where his outlet for violence was. It also helped that he was incredibly strong, even by NFL standards. And I want to make a note. This next stat that I'm going to read, I can only find one source for it. And it was a source for Cleveland.com talking about Orlando's life. The number seems impossible to me. And while reading up similar numbers, it doesn't add up. But that website alleged that that year he bench pressed a team high 960 pounds. Pretty sure that's a typo. Yeah. Or or an outright fabrication. I think (laughs) that would... what is the world record for 1300? A, a, I looked it up. 1300 is the record. Well, I guess, like, it, it, well, I it's guess possible, maybe. but yeah, most linemen are I putting would, like I five believe, to seven. I, yeah, I would believe 700. Yeah, so that's it is typed as 960, and I reread it several times. I was like, that's not that's, fucking real. 
at the very least, it would be published probably somewhere else. Orlando would insist on it. Yeah. Yeah. It again, I, it was from cleveland.com, which had a lot of information about his life around this time, which was helpful, but that stuck out a little bit. But again, massively strong. He's fucking huge. Um, and we almost kind of talked about it. People in the NFL weren't the only ones who'd take notice of his size. As around this time, it was alleged that Orlando had been convinced or had to be convinced to turn down an offer from the WWF who wanted him to pursue a wrestling career. Uh, going on their track record of taking large football players and turning them into stars, uh, just like uh, the Godfather was before him. Yeah. yeah or slightly after. Uh, yeah, I, think, I think they were just like, no, no, Orlando, you're, you're actually good. <laughs> like you don't, you don't yeah. have to do this. Right. Your knees haven't exploded yet. Stay. It's like, well now probably the closest thing in the WWE now is Omos, who is a college basketball player yeah. who's, who had no NBA future, but like, just fucking look at the guy. Like, yeah. put him in a get up and have him like throw people around by the neck for, for yeah. five minutes. Omas, who it was University of Central Florida, I think. It was one of the Florida schools. South, South Florida. South yeah. Florida, yeah. He's like 7'4, but immobile as shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Orlando would have a perfectly fine career as a lineman. He spent uh, his first three seasons with the Browns before they moved to Baltimore in 96. And then he moved back to Cleveland um, um, and made a name for himself there when the team resurfaced, um, securing a contract in 1999, making him one of the highest paid linemen, earning $27 million over six years. So he's, he's doing a good job, like, making a name for himself. Unfortunately for Orlando, and the reason we're talking about him today, uh, his 1999 would be famous for a very different reason. See, the Browns were doing their best to be the Browns and were having, to say it lightly, a rough year. Headed into Week 15 that year, the Browns were 2-12. and 12. Uh-oh. Sounds like the Browns, yep. Uh, the season had been long over, but they were hosting the inverse of their season, the red-hot 12-2 and two Jacksonville Jaguars, who were being led by Mark Brunel. Uh, early into the second quarter... The Browns are driving, and they're in a close 7-0 game. They're trailing, but they've got a shot still. And, you know, there's a little pride here still at stake. As legendary quarterback Tom Couch takes a snap, there's a flag almost instantly. There's a false start on the defense. A penalty that stops the play dead and constitutes an immediate uh, restart and a play on a new down. But if you've ever watched football for a single drive, you'll know that a false start penalty usually happens, and then there's a couple seconds of play still happening before everything comes to a halt. Orlando is playing right tackle and blocks for the passing play, drifting back into the right. And the flag comes in from the referee behind the offense, and from literally five yards away, the referee pelts Orlando Brown in the face. <laughs> Just takes the flag and just chucks it at him. Orlando grabs his helmet and hunches over immediately as the ref quickly comes over and tries to almost apologize and see how bad he just fucked. Uh, Orlando proceeded to uh, hold him upside down and rip him in half like a bone <laughs> tomahawk. Trainers come out to inspect Orlando, and he has a massive cut under his right eye, and it's swelling pretty damn fast. Uh, why was this injury so bad? 
Well, let's do a little bit of history lesson. As back in the 90s, referees' flags weren't the ones that they are today. Uh, today, they're filled with sand, usually, or some sort of lighter material. Uh, but for some ungodly reason, um, this flag is filled with ball bearings. <laughs> I was going to guess, like, rocks they found in the parking lot, but I think that's even worse. Yeah. Uh, so Orlando just took basically flying buckshot straight to the orbital bone. So fucking so that, unnecessary. Like, all you yeah. need to do to fill the flag is, like, fill it with something that's affected by gravity. That could be pretty much anything. You know what's saying? Did, you not, have a, did you not have a sock? Yeah. Did you not have a sock full of oranges? Like, <laughs> yeah. So from five yards away, he's just, like, fucking pelted. Uh, like, Andrew Luck throwing, like, a quick slant. Like, fast, massive, just right in the face. Oh, no worries. We've made our flag safer uh, to line it. <laughs> To uh, line it and keep the uh, ball bearings out of uh, anyone's orbital bone, we've uh, placed the lining of a thin layer of anthrax. So <laughs> everything should be good. It, it's there's a nice insulation layer of as, as a, uh, asbestos in there. <laughs> Today's uh, flag. Or... Wait, we're trying out a, a new strategy: a live grenade. <laughs> it's filled with nails and some uh, some light explosives. <laughs> Orlando was taken from the field briefly, but wanted to come back to play because he's a football player and on instinct, that's just kind of what you do. But since he had been seen by the medical team, he had to wait at least one play before he was able to come back on. Uh, But since the result of that was a ref being a complete fucking idiot, he thought this was stupid and wanted to come back on the field anyway. Oh boy. That same ref who had just... I assaulted him, attempted to stop Orlando from re-entering the field. Um, yeah. But at this point, Orlando remembered he's also nicknamed and bulldozed the ref over, shoving him down to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you can't be doing that. However just this may have felt, this is still highly against the rules, and Orlando was in turn ejected, fined, and suspended. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big suspension. Yeah. Uh, but before any of this could mean anything, Orlando needed to be rushed to the hospital. Yeah. See, that little eye injury was actually starting to get pretty severe uh, as pressure started to build up behind his eye, causing actual literal blindness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this uh, thing is, or- the, the, the blood probably clotted, but like... The blood, there's still blood that needs to go somewhere, and uh, everywhere that that's going to go is, is troubling, because everywhere it's going to go is uh, next to your eye and or your brain. Yeah. Uh, either it goes outward onto your face, in which case you have an open wound and you're bleeding, or it goes into your brain and you've got internal bleeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orlando would later state that he was so fired up about this uh, because he saw that he was going blind, and it had a direct impact on him because his father, growing up, just so happened to be blind, and he saw what that effect had on his family. His father having gone blind uh, due to uh, uh, complications with glaucoma, and he was like, "Well, I'm blind now, and I know what this does to people. Fuck you." <laughs> Orlando then spent the next three days in the hospital as doctors closely examined and monitored his eye. His eye was still swollen shut and needed to be covered at all times by a metal patch for protection. 
Uh, I couldn't find the exact injury, but I imagine a broken or orbital bone and whatever like actual like damage to his retina and eye actually caused. But he took, you can see the replay, he took this straight through the face mask to the eye, like no ricochet at all. What are the odds? Um, actually kind of high. I, there was another play. Uh, I had to look it up. Um, Old Miss in Alabama in uh, about 10 years ago, the exact same thing happened to one of the Old Miss players. So it's, it's happened before, but this was, you know, this decade. So it was with sand and not, you know, BB pellets. Mm-hmm. Um, but Orlando was out of football for the foreseeable future and was rightfully unhappy about it. In 2001, he would sue the NFL and that ref, which I'll now gladly say, and somebody who I hope to have an official topic, uh, Jeff Triplett. <laughs> oh, this was Jeff Triplett. Okay. This is Jeff Triplett. Yeah, he is a guy. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's not one exact situation that makes him a guy more than this, but he has a history of just being the worst fucking referee. <laughs> Uh, but so Orlando sues the NFL and Jeff Triplett for $200 million in damages and lost salary. The stress of this injury had also caused a rift in his marriage, and that uh, his marriage ended as well. So his wife was also suing the NFL and Jeff Triplett um, for basically lost like income uh, from a spouse. So there's like four counts going against the NFL in this case. Two of them are from Orlando and two of them are from his wife. As far as court cases go, Orlando claimed that the NFL was responsible due in part to the nature of uh, one of its employees causing the injury in a non-ball move, i.e. assaulting him uh, uh, by pelting with the flag, and also that the NFL was responsible for hiring and making such inept referees. Fair enough. I mean, this is Jeff Pri- Tripler talking about, yes. Yeah. The NFL countered in one of the most cowardice ways I may have ever seen. I'm not as familiar with law as much as Alex is, uh, so I used a reading uh, of the case from Justia U.S. Law, J-U-S-T-I-A. Justia, um, yeah. They, yeah. They have, like, a, they, like, share the text of, of court yeah. cases for free. Yeah. yeah. And a direct quote from this case says, For purposes of this motion, the NFL does not dispute the facts in the Browns' complaint. Okay. The NFL fully admits to the court that, yes, the refs are shit, but that they shouldn't be held accountable in U.S. court, because in the eyes of the NFL, this is more of a CBA issue. Uh, and since the U.S. law doesn't have the same regulations and rules as the Players Association in the CBA, then it's really out of the U.S. law's hands, and this should all be handled internally. This is just like, this is like one step removed from some sovereign citizen shit. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not as familiar to law, but like everything that I read was basically just like, hey, this is something that we handle in the CBA, and that deals with the players' handbook and the refs' handbook and the NFL handbook, and that's all things that aren't U.S. law. So can we can please not do this ever? Actually, I'd like to go home now. But the entire time they're like, yeah, I know he's shit. Take that up with the CBA. Like they're the NFL is like washing their hands and just basically going, I know he's bad but that's not our fault <laughs> uh, Orlando's team then argued that B 
because the refs were so bad uh, and were throwing flags at complete jackasses that this could have happened to literally anybody. Uh, what's to say that that flag wouldn't hit a fan or somebody on the sidelines who wasn't an employee of the NFL? Uh, but the NFL did everything they could to move this along, eventually settled out of court uh, with Orlando uh, to the tune of about $20 million, from what I could tell. Uh, a far cry from his massive lucrative salary he was starting to sign, but he at least got something out of it. Yeah. Orlando would get one more shot in the NFL years later, from 2003 to 2005, again with the Baltimore Ravens, but his prime days were pretty much long behind him. There is one silver lining to all of this, though, um, is that while you might not be as familiar with Orlando Brown today, you're probably more familiar with his son, Orlando yeah. Brown Jr. Mm-hmm. Yep who is very, very good in following very identically to his father's footsteps. Yeah, just won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and he is now, uh, I saw he's now with the Browns. Uh, or the Bengals, sorry. Bengals, Bengals. yeah, yeah. Uh, the other Ohio team. Um, I did see there's a really cool NFL films uh, thing following Orlando Brown Jr. Um, where basically, like, it talks about how growing up with his dad um, around the Baltimore area, um, there's a time where his dad came to the school when he was in second grade, like with the uh, Ravens mascot, and like he got to have this cool experience as a second grader to then be drafted by the Ravens later on as like a cool full circle moment. Mm-hmm. Um, as a fun fact for me, do either of you know what the Ravens mascot name is? Ooh, uh, is it Poe? No, I don't. It's I've Edgar Allan like- Poe. Edgar Allan Poe. Okay. Okay. It yeah. insults I, I, I me. Yeah. Because that's it, sort of the genesis of Baltimore being the Ravens, because they're the Edgar Allan Poe connection there, yeah. Right. Sorry, sorry. It's, it's Edgar Allan and Poe. Uh, but it, it, it insults me that it's just that on the nose about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anytime that I see that, it just makes me angry. So I wanted to mention that. Uh, sadly, though, Annabelle Lee or something like that? Come yeah, like... More subtle. <laughs> Maybe they could have just had a... They could have made Hop Frog their mascot. <laughs> this fucking destroys the stadium first game. Could have named uh, it Fortunato. That would have been a really cool mascot name. Yeah. Uh, sadly, um, Orlando Brown Sr. would uh, lose his life in 2040 due to complications with diabetes. Uh, but the greater story, I think, out of all of it is the legacy that his son seems to carry through him. Uh, and the fact that he gets to do it... Uh, like aligned with the same teams that his father was, which I think is really cool. Uh, being like both of them being Ravens, but that is the story of Orlando Brown, the man who was assaulted by the referees um, via essentially a lead balloon. Um, but that's going to bring me to my big question this week. Uh, I want you to come up with a way to tell somebody their shit at their job in either corporate or legal speak. Uh, much akin to how the NFL basically handled the entire Jeff Triplett situation. Um, let's see. Well, your experience and integrity at this firm is valued. Uh, the fact is that your productive output does not meet the standards that we set here at blah, blah, blah company. Uh, and the execution of these, uh, or the execution of your duties has been somewhat lacking as of late. Uh, therefore, we are going to have to let you go. I feel valued. That's about as roundabout a way as I can put it. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm just imagining myself in a hearing how I'm going to 
I'm going to call opposing counsel stupid. Something I've never done, although I've thought about. Um, uh, Your Honor, like, uh, like they were, they were never. This individual has never been, uh, was never granted the functional capabilities necessary to uh, uh, complete tasks like uh, throwing, like throwing a flag correctly. Um, it's it's never it's something that they're literally incapable of. <laughs> and who's to blame for this? <laughs> Society. I'm losing this trial. Fuck. Slip it away it. from me. I love it. I, I have to pull my penis out. Let's get a mistrial going. <laughs> quick, quick, jump through the 25th uh, floor window. <laughs> uh, good answers, both of you. I've always wanted to do the uh, the Emperor's New Groove. Um, uh, your body's part of a permanent outplacement. Um, your life's going in a different direction. Um, we're considering you to be let go uh, of your current need. Like I want, I've always wanted to do like that kind of speech to somebody. Uh, but I can't think of a better way for the NFL than just like, yeah, you're shit, but it's not our job to tell you that. Yeah, come on, I'm just a little guy. I'm the birth. I'm I'm the, I'm the birthday boy. It's my oh, birthday. Oh, 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 I'm 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 just the widow bitty NFL. I I don't know about the courts. <laughs> this is uh, yeah. I mean, it it really is. That's. That's an argument that almost makes you angry a little bit. You're like, yeah. <laughs> if it is not your job to hire competent people, then it's nobody's. Like that yeah. is literally. I mean, yeah. Be expecting that uh, to come from a Supreme Court holding uh, near you. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking a. Well, that I believe brings us to the conclusion of another episode of Here's a Guy. So. Uh, let's put a bow on this thing like we always do. Let's go around the horn and hawk our shit. Cody, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me weekly right here on Here's a Guy on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Check out our Instagram and Twitter accounts uh, as well. They are, I believe, both Here's a Guy pod. Uh, also, we now have a Patreon page. We haven't talked about it much, but uh, hey, some of you, some of you motherfuckers have been listening to the podcast and not subscribed to the Patreon. And uh, you need to stop doing that, and I'll tell you why. Um, if you don't subscribe to our Patreon, I oh, am going go. to sneak into your house and smoke weed in the living room right before your parents come over. <laughs> Just think about how awkward that's going to be. <laughs> yeah. Also, you can find me on Twitter. I am at sonofgravy42069. And now on Blue Sky, I am at Drowned in Gravy. Jack John, where can the people find you? Uh, yeah, people can find me on uh, Twitter at uh, Papa underscore Jack John. You can find me on Blue Sky at Papa Jack John. Find me on my personal Twitch channel, uh, Papa Jack John. Uh, I'm doing a birthday celebration at the end of this month, uh, August 25th to 27th. I'm turning 30. And we're going to do a big ass stream weekend to celebrate that. And I'll reiterate check out the uh, Patreon. We just launched Here's a Guy Abridged, episode one for John Leonard. I'm really proud of it. Uh, did a lot of hand-drawn animations. I made Alex a horse girl. Uh, some of my finest work, I think. Yeah, it's one, one of the wackier three minutes you'll ever watch. Definitely, yeah. definitely <laughs> recommend checking this out. It's something. Alex, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't show you ahead of time that I was going to draw you as a horse girl. What was your initial reaction when that happened? Pretty surprised. I also like your interpretation of horse girl. It's not like... Because it was not like the 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 girl who wore a lot of denim 
and had suspiciously long straight hair in high school. It was just a, a horse girl. Yeah, I, it was it, like yeah, man spider. It was, it was like Bojack horse girl. Yeah. Yeah. A, a bearded horse with a little like uh, uh, butterfly beret in their hair. Yeah, it's a horse girl. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter, Turpin for Prez. You can also find me on Blue Sky at Turpin for Prez. Uh, you're welcome for the invite codes. Uh, pretty sure neither of you said thank you, but it's no big deal. Um, follow the <laughs> podcast account on on Twitter as well. It's uh, at Here's a Guy Pod. Um, and we have a uh, mailbox. It's Here's a Mailbox at gmail.com. Send us whatever you like. We like it enough. We'll read it on the show. We usually do, like 99% of the time. Um, so, whew, wow, good to have the full cast back once again. Uh, great episode, everybody. Um, and that's going to... Oh, wait a second. Cody, do you have a tagline for us? I think that would be the good way to, to end this thing. I, I certainly do. Yes, uh, I do, in fact. All right. Well, thank you all for being here. Hope to have you back again with us next week. Cody, hit us with that tagline, please. If a bit works once, take the W and move on. Falling out of a 24th story window is no time to be reevaluating the choices you just made. <laughs> Bye, daddies. <laughs>